Last week, we kicked off a series on social media by talking about the um, dangers of comparison. Next week, we're going to talk about the dangers of, uh, of online addiction uh, regarding social media and maybe a few other online addictions, as well as confirmation bias. We're going to try to fit both of those in next week because the following week, uh, we start Lent and we're going to begin that journey uh, through the Gospel of John. While we have that reflection guide, you can pick up on the 17th. On Sundays, we're going to be looking at the seven signs that John talks about in his gospel. There are seven different miracles that really point and help us understand who Jesus is. So that's where we're headed. But today I want to continue our conversation around the dangers of comparison. Now, this series was inspired by the documentary that was put out by Netflix uh, that criticized the impacts of social media and included a lot of voices that were uh, familiar with the kind of the darker side of data collection. It's called The Social Dilemma. If you haven't seen it, it's worth, it's worth watching. It ironically stirred up quite a bit of conversation online, and then like every other fad was replaced by something else to talk about online. But, but we thought, you know, let's actually uh, talk about some of these things, uh, like more than just when they're popular. So one of the things I knew we needed to address is how, and not just comparison, uh, comparison, jealousy, all of these types of things, they're rooted in this idea that um, we need to address how we find value from other people's perspectives of us. So I want to show you just a, a, a quick, brief uh, clip from The Social Dilemma, just to give you an example of some of this conversation. Let's watch this. These technology products were not designed by child psychologists who are trying to protect and nurture children. They were just designing to make these algorithms that were really good at recommending the next video to you or the really good at getting you to take a photo with the filter on it. not just that it's controlling where they spend their attention, especially social media starts to dig deeper and deeper down to the brainstem and take over kids' sense of self-worth and identity. to care about whether other people in our tribe think well of us or not, because it matters. But were we evolved to be aware of what 10,000 people think of us? We were not evolved to have social approval being dosed to us every five minutes. That was not at all what we were built to experience. We curate our lives around this perceived sense of perfection because we get rewarded in these short-term signals, hearts, likes, thumbs up, and we conflate that with value and we conflate it with truth. And instead, what it really is, is fake, brittle popularity. That's short-term and that leaves you even more, and admit it, vacant and empty before you did it. Because then it forces you into this vicious cycle where you're like, what's the next thing I need to do now? Because I need it back. Think about that compounded by 2 billion people. And then think about how people react then to... We've been talking about the dangers of comparison, but really what we're talking about is the dangers of finding our value and our worth from social approval. 
So it's when we see those people's perfect lives on social media and we compare them to our real lives, which is so terrible because the perfect curated life of somebody versus our real life is, is not even comparable. Or it's when young people start to measure their worth or people who are not so young measure their worth based on how many likes they get or shares or what kind of attention they get. When we boil it all down, what we're talking about is how we tend to measure our worth based on what other people say about us. Now, if you've uh, watched the, the documentary and you want to have a discussion group about it sometime online, let me know. If you haven't watched it and want to organize a watch party, uh, let me know. I'd love to do that. love to be a part of it. But last week, we talked about the ways that toxic influencers impacted the church in Galatia, how they were uh, popular and motivated and persuasive. And they tried to convince the church that God's grace wasn't enough, that in short, they, 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 they weren't good enough um, and they had to do all of these other things to belong. In many ways... This is what can happen on social media or blogs, certainly advertisements, commercials. Billions of dollars are spent trying to convince us to not be content with who we are and what we have. Billions of dollars are also made selling our data uh, to be able to do that very thing. So today I want to continue that conversation. At the end of Paul's letter to the church in Galatia, which we looked at last week, he offers some really simple advice that I think is the antithesis of what we talked about. He, uh, advice on how to build more authentic people and more authentic community, uh, people who really love God. So last week, we looked at the toxic influencers who are impacting the church, and they can serve as a warning. But today, I want to offer uh, the, what the church and the community and what we could look like as we live more authentically. So uh, let's jump to it. Galatians uh, chapter 6. If you have your Bible, you can go there. You can find it online. Uh, Galatians chapter 6. We're going to start with verse 1. What Paul uh, lays down, I think, as the antidote to finding value from social approval or comparison or toxic influencers, this is what he says. He starts by saying this. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin... You who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently, but watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. So this is where it starts, and it has to start here, even if we don't want it to. Uh, and when you read this, you might be tempted to focus on the idea of one person condemning another person or criticizing another person because they're sinning, and that doesn't feel like it's any better than the toxic places that we find on social media. Um, and, and honestly, some of us have some baggage here because of how it's been done in unhealthy ways in our lives. But, but that's not what Paul has in mind here. Um, so let me paraphrase kind of what he's getting at uh, and what this verse, why this verse matters and why and, and what it means. Here's the, here's the big point. First, we're not going to get this right. We sin, uh, which means we miss the mark, which means we mess up. That's going to happen. And that's kind of the assumption of this verse. We're not going to get this right. So third, uh, second, um, no one is too good or too spiritual uh, to be, to not be vulnerable to messing up. Paul makes this clear in this verse. He says, I, I'm as your pastor, I, I'm not above this. Like I can, this is going to trip me up too. I can fall to the prey of, of toxic influencers and, and all of this sort of stuff. So, uh, so third, we need to be gentle with each other. And this is key. This is hard and it's messy and it's tricky. And so we've got to be gentle with each other. And then fourth, we need each other. 
What he's saying here is that, uh, we'll get into this later, but they were saying they had to do all this stuff to follow the law. And even though Paul was saying, no, the law isn't what you have to follow, he, was, he still wasn't saying you could do whatever you wanted. But you figured out how to live and how to be healthy and uh, what, what the Bible calls righteous, uh, not from the law, not some sort of cold standard, but the community you're in. In other words, he's, he's painting a picture of what it means to be in community where we can challenge each other. And finally, this is an important part. Instead of being influenced by all of those voices in our lives, we need to be people who are being influenced by the very Spirit of God. And that's the big difference. The Spirit of God at work in the community. We, we have to leave behind our, our phone and our screens and our social media and set aside time so we can hear God's uh, voice in our lives. I am... Um, Depart from my script here for a second. I, uh, uh, we refer to uh, all of the screens in our house as screens, uh, tablet, uh, TV, whatever. And, and so whenever we talk to Finn, we talk about screen time and we, you know, you, it, you know, we refer to it as a screen. So the other day we uh, had to go get something at uh, Best Buy. And so we went and we brought Finn. Um, it was just before it closed. It was basically empty. And, uh, you know, we took him over to the, uh, to the Apple department so he could go check out his favorite thing in the world, the iPad. And uh, um, he had, you know, fun time just looking at all the technology. Well, just the other day, he was like, uh, he's like, you remember that one time we went to the screen store? And I was like, yeah, that's what Best Buy is. It's a screen store. I mean, it's just like every size of screen you want, and that's what they sell. Um, but we have to kind of set those screens aside. Whatever, your phone, your whatever, you have to set it aside if we want to really be influenced by the Holy Spirit. So that's where it starts. We're going to mess up. No one is safe from messing up. And and let's be gentle with each other. Let's be authentic towards each other. We need to challenge one another, uh, but we also need to allow the Spirit of God to be that main influencer. So with that in mind, we can start building a new community of authentic and healthy people, and that's what it looks like. Verse two, carry each other's burdens, and in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. Instead of comparing, we are called to carry. Instead of comparing ourselves to other people's success, we are called to carry other people's burdens. All right, so think about, I'm going to say that again so you can catch it. Instead of comparing ourselves to other people's success, we are called to carry other people's burdens. And this is a huge shift that has to happen in our life if we want to live a healthier and more content life. So throughout this letter to the Galatians, Paul is setting up this idea that Christ is better than the law. That the law requires a circumcision and all of these other things we talked about last week, all these holidays and what you can eat and whatnot. And, and, and the law was what these toxic influencers were using to make the church feel inferior. They, they, they used it as an impossible standard to make them feel terrible about what they weren't doing. But Paul says over and over again that, that we've been set free from the law. It's a major theme in Galatians, if you have a chance to read it. Christ sets us free from those impossible standards uh, and, and uh, that other people set up. So most of Paul's letter to the Galatians, it's all about law versus Christ. The law is bad and makes us feel inferior. Christ is good and saves us by grace alone. Law versus Christ. But here, at the end of the letter, Paul combines them and he says, this is the law of Christ. So no more, no longer law versus Christ, but the law of Christ. In other words, if you're going to set a standard in your life and hold yourself up to it and compare yourself to it and try to strive after it, this is the law of Christ that you should love your neighbor as yourself. Whereas Paul says here in different way, carry 
each other's burdens. One of the ways that we can overcome our tendency to compare and to compete with other people is to actively try to help other people. I found this actually helps me in times when I'm tempted to get jealous or when I feel threatened by someone or I want to compare myself to someone. Uh, Alyssa and I, many others, uh, many of you who are still part of the church, helped plant this church uh, three years ago. Well, last year, um, someone reached out to me. It was a pastor and church planner who was uh, planning to launch a church uh, nearby uh, in Grandview, uh, where we uh, where where we were and where we're headed back. But um, and I got to be honest with you, he, he's going to plant a church in Grandview. Uh, my first reaction is to feel threatened or insecure. I can just imagine a dozen people could do this better than me. And if they plant a church uh, next door or down the street, what's to keep everyone from going there? Some of you might be like, that's silly. But the reality is it happens. And, you know, like this is how you feel, right? You compare yourself, you feel threatened, you, you, you get jealous, whatever. So I met with the pastor. He reached out. He wanted to meet with me. And uh, I knew I needed to kind of get past those unhealthy thoughts, those feelings of comparison and jealousy and feeling threatened. So uh, I was talking talking with him, uh, this church planner, and even though I wasn't feeling it, I knew what I needed to say to him. So we're talking, and he's telling me his vision for the church, and he said, and, and I'm paraphrasing, and also I recognize that my feeling at the time might have uh, uh, colored what I remember of the conversation. You, do you know what I'm saying? But what I remember him saying, probably not what he said, is, you know, we wanted to plant a church in Grandview because, you know, there aren't really any churches in Grandview that are kind of gospel-centered and modern and contemporary and, you know, that sort of thing. And objectively, I knew what he was getting at because we planted a church in Grandview with very similar logic. Like our denomination identified there could be a need in this particular area because uh, there weren't a lot of newer churches in Grandview. So I didn't disagree with him objectively, but when he said that, what I was thinking was we're modern and gospel-centered and small groups and you know what I'm saying? And we do a lot more than that too. So I was tempted to get really defensive, but, but I, I knew I couldn't say that. I knew I shouldn't be thinking that. So instead I said this and I said it not because I wanted to, but because I knew it was the right thing to say. So I said to this guy, sounds great. How can we help? What can Central City Church do to help you be more successful? I said, you want to come on a Sunday and you, you can take five minutes and share a little bit about your vision and, and why you're planning a church. We could even see if there's people in our community who might feel called to be a part of your launch team. Now, he never took me up on the offer, uh, but it, and it still stands. And, and him taking up on the offer isn't the point. My heart was able to match up and catch up with my words. And it was healing. And now we've actually become friends. He's helped organize a, a prayer group of pastors in the area. And I think this week we're, we're going out, we're meeting outside, and we're going to walk through Grandview and pray for Grandview. If, if you want to cut comparison down, and you just knock it out of the ring, take back the healthy perspective you wish you had, offer to help. You'll win every round against comparison when you do that. Because it's hard to be jealous of someone when you're trying to help them. In other words, empathy destroys comparison. That's one way. Now, it's possible that you could offer someone to help. Hey, how can we help? And they could, uh, they could kind of be insulted. Why would I ever need your help? Uh, Paul has something to say to that person as well. Verse 3. If anyone thinks they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. So first, let's help each other. Let's stop comparing and let's start supporting each other. But second, for all of those people who are super impressive and super motivated and super persuasive and seem to overshadow everyone else, for all of those, Paul says, if they think they're really something, 
they aren't. <laughs> and I love that because it's true. And it's so important to remember, they aren't that impressive. I'm certainly not that impressive. Friends, you're definitely not that impressive. What a fun thing to have in the Bible. It's, it's not the only time Paul says this, too. Uh, go back to chapter 2 of Galatians. Last week, we looked at a verse where Paul talked about how the influencers were held in high esteem. You know, they're popular, the kind of people people looked up to. Here's what he said. Galatians 2, 6, he says, And for those who were held in high esteem, whatever they were makes no difference to me. God does not show favoritism. And they added nothing to my message. Galatians 2, 6. For those who really think they have it all together, this is what Paul says. And you can memorize this and you can hold on to it. Paul says, they don't impress me. They don't impress God. And they aren't saying anything new. Think about that. You, this, this might be ammunition that you need when you feel really, really small. They don't, they, they don't need to impress you. They don't impress God. And they aren't saying anything new. You know, all of those people who are just the coolest... Well, the truth is, they're just human, and they get sick, and they go to the bathroom like you, and they have to eat, and they have fears, and they have weaknesses. They might not Instagram those weaknesses, but they've got them. So when you compare yourself to that perfect family, or that perfect marriage, or that perfect career, and they just seem so awesome, remind yourself, they're not. They're human. Now, they are Every one of us is deeply loved by God, created in God's image, but their worth and our worth doesn't come from how, how impressive they appear or how impressive we appear. So instead of comparing, we carry. And instead of uh, uh, being impressed by people, we need to remind ourselves that people aren't as impressive as they seem. But he doesn't stop there. He goes on verse four, and this is where he kind of hits the, the nail uh, on the head. He says this. Each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. Comparison is um, a normal human response. It's, it's rooted in our desire to know where we stand in a community. So we look at what others are doing and we use that data to figure out how we're doing. And while we weren't created to do that with thousands of Facebook friends, it, it is normal and, and maybe even healthy in smaller amounts. But, but Paul says, don't do it at all. He says, don't compare. And so the logic stands like if you stop comparing yourself to others, how will you know how you're doing? Well, here's what Paul says. And, and it remains kind of revolutionary advice in the world. Um, this, is, this was written a long time ago, but it, it remains true and good. He says, don't compare yourself to others. Don't hold up what you're doing and determine its, its worth based on how it compares to others. Instead, compare what, you've, what you're doing with what you used to do. Focus on how well you're doing compared. Don't, don't focus on how well you're doing compared to someone else, but how much you've improved. Now, back in uh, 2014, Matthew McConaughey uh, uh, won uh, Best Actor for his role in American Hustle. Uh, but what might be more famous than even that movie is his exception, acceptance acceptance speech at the Oscars. Um, and I don't know if you remember this, but uh, in it, he gives this kind of usual thanks and he talks about uh, all the typical people you would think in an acceptance speech. But at the end, he talks about who his hero is, who he looks up to, who he's chasing after and trying to be more like. And uh, it, what his answer became fairly memorable to me and maybe to, 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 to the internet at the time. And uh, well, let's watch this. <laughs> when I first heard this and I, I saw the internet talk about it, I was just like, what is wrong with this guy? Like, 
my hero is me in 10 years from now. I had to think like, this was kind of like, uh, his, his, his hero was like a Christopher Nolan film. I was like, okay, wait, hero in 10 years. But then at that point it's somebody, I'm just like, and it felt a little narcissistic and kind of like weird and crazy. Like you're supposed to thank other people, but he like talks about himself. Uh, I, I probably made fun of it on Facebook, but then I read this passage from Paul that says each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. And I thought, man, Matthew McConaughey, I don't think you realize how psychologically healthy that is. God created you to be unique and you have unique gifts to offer. You can't be someone else. And the church needs you to be you and to offer wholeheartedly what you have to have to offer. And so, yeah, chase after the best version of yourself, not the best version of someone else. Chase after the best version of yourself. Don't strive or compare yourself to the best version of someone else. So first, we carry other people's burdens. We don't compare with their successes. Second, people aren't as impressive as they seem. We're all just human. Whatever show we like to put on in front of other people. Third, chase after that best version of yourself. And then finally, verse five, he says this. For each one should carry their own burden. This is interesting because just a few verses before he said that the fulfillment of the law of Christ is that we carry each other's burdens. But here he says, you should carry your own. So which is it? Carry my own or let someone else carry it? Well, it's interesting because the words here are slightly different. In verse two, when it says we should carry each other's burdens, it's using the Greek word uh, baros. And, and, uh, but here in verse five, it's using the word fortian. Uh, they, they can be translated as a burden, but they mean slightly different things. The first one, when, when it says, you know, carry each other's burdens, it means something that's heavy, even painful to carry, something that's burdensome. Uh, it's a weight that's hard and difficult. You weren't meant to carry it. But the second word here is uh, maybe better translated as cargo, often used of as cargo on a ship. And so you can think of it like this. It's not a burden for a ship to carry cargo. A ship is designed to carry cargo. So the point is simple. There are some things in life that we weren't meant to carry by ourselves. We, we can't carry, we weren't created to carry some things by ourselves or alone. Things like pain and heartache and sorrow and the messiness of life, we're just not meant to do it alone. But we were created for some things. We were created, there are things you were created for, like a ship designed for cargo, there are things that you should be doing. And Paul's point is that for those things, the things you were created for, no one else can do them for you. You are responsible for what you do with your life. And you will be held accountable for what you do with it. All those people who, who you compare yourself to or you look up to or you're impressed by, they aren't responsible for your life. You are. And Paul makes it clear in other letters, most extensively in 1 Corinthians 12, that we're a community that's like a body. And, and, and every body has many parts, but every part of that body is important, which means if you're a part of this body of Christ and you're a part of this local expression of the body of Christ known as Central City Church, you have a part to play and no one else can play that part for you. During COVID, we've started using this term essential workers, and I love it because there's never been a category of employment that included both doctors and uh, grocery store clerks. And I think it's fantastic. It reminds us of the importance of both jobs, doesn't it? Like we need doctors and we also need to eat, uh, both essential. 
I think when Paul teaches everyone that, that they have to do their own part, and Paul talks about this a lot in his letters, I think he's saying that everyone in the kingdom of God is an essential worker, that we need you, that you have a part to play, and no one else can play that part. You know, if the pandemic has taught us anything, or especially our families, um, we, we now know definitively that the preacher up front is only as good as the nursery worker in the back. I mean, because we've gone now for a year without nursery worker and our families are feeling it. It's true. Every role in the church matters. And we need you to do what God is calling you to do. I can't do what God is calling you to do. I can't. So um, I do. I want to just say this, that if you're listening or if you're listening to this later, I believe that you're here for a reason. I 100% believe that. And I believe we need you to be here for a reason. I will add, I believe there are people who are not here yet who we need to be a complete body. And I don't know what that means for you or how it'll play out, but um, I want to challenge you to ask the question, what is God doing with me here? So first, we need to, to help each other, carry, don't compare. Second, you know, people aren't as impressive as they appear. Third, strive to be the best version of yourself, not someone else. And fourth, you are responsible for what you do with your life. Uh, you have a part to play, and you're responsible for living out. So I'm going to just share with you what this can look like. Um, I, I think there might be some people listening just by the Spirit of God, uh, happen chance and coincidence, that need to, to hear about a couple opportunities. As we dream about what what it means to be a church as we take steps towards uh, one day opening back up uh, both maybe in the near future for socially distanced and, and COVID worship, but uh, down the road where we can kind of hopefully get back to a normal rhythm with greeters and coffee and city kids and all of these things we love. Um, we need your help. We're looking at over this year to invest in leaders who can help us accomplish those things. Uh, one area that we're looking to invest in is small group leaders so we can launch new small groups. If there was ever an antithesis to the social media and how it produces unhealthy relationships, it's small groups, meeting with people over a long period of time, getting to know them, being honest with them, not putting on a show, really being an authentic relationship. We need that. And I think we're all hungry for it. And we want to be able to offer that. To do that, we need someone like you to say, hey, I will put in the effort and quite, quite a bit of time it'll take to, to learn how to be a small group leader. We're also going to be hopefully someday offering City Kids again. We're doing some digital stuff now in the leadership of Molly, but down the road, we're going to offer it again. And we're, we're doing some fantastic things to prepare for that. We would love for you to consider doing that, as well as uh, first impressions. It, it's so exciting to think that we're now thinking like there might be a day we'll have greeters again. Like that's just that's, that's exciting. If you're interested in leading that ministry, there is currently a position open that, uh, that we would love to talk to you about. There's a lot of other ways as well, and maybe the way in which you live out your call isn't even in this local uh, expression of the body of Christ, but in what God is doing somewhere else. And I just encourage you and I affirm you in that, but I do challenge you regardless to ask the question, what is God asking of me. So with that, uh, I want to leave you with a final verse. It comes out of uh, the Galatians 6, if you skip down just a few. Um, it's one of my favorite verses, and I think it summarizes well what, uh, what God is asking for us. And here's what it says, Galatians 6, 9 through 10. Let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, friends, the proper time, not always when we want it or need it, but if we keep going at the proper time, and I don't know what you're struggling with or what you're investing in, I can tell you what I'm, what, where my hustle is. We're, we're trying to be a church in the midst of, 
I don't know, whatever this thing is that's happening in the world. And at the proper time, I believe that we'll, reach, we'll reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially those who belong in the family of God. Friends, let us continue to be a church that is taking what we have, our resources, our time, our presence, and do good for all people, especially for each other. Let's pray. God, we uh, come and we just ask that you would continue to be with us. Holy Spirit, fall on us. Lord, we give you thanks for all those who continue to invest their lives into building the kingdom of God right here on earth. I ask for discernment on those who are trying to figure out what that might look like for them, whether it's because they're starting out, uh, kind of stepping out into their faith for the first time or, or because they're entering into a new season where they're just not sure what it looks like anymore because things have changed. And we just ask for your Holy Spirit to come and fill us, give us your peace your name. Amen. Friends, I do want to invite you to, uh, if you have elements, um, we're going to take communion. We've got uh, some bread and wine up here. And last week I shared, uh, you shouldn't look up to someone unless you've sat down and had dinner with them. Just as a little, the idea is that you you should really get to know somebody if you're going to look up to them. And this is Jesus all the way. He didn't preach just to crowds and expect people to be impressed with his numbers. He would always move into the personal and sit down with people. So it's no mistake that when Jesus uh, sat down with his disciples for the last time before he would be crucified, that he decided that the, 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 the act that we would partake in, that he would say, keep doing this, would be sitting at a table, eating and drinking. And so communion means a lot of things. And and as a sacrament, I believe God kind of meets us in a unique and special way. But one of the things I think it's meant to do is remind us that our life should not be about follows or popularity or impressing people. It should be about the people that we're willing to sit at a table and eat with. And I know that's been hard this year. You haven't had that opportunity. Um, Isolated that's where we're headed. And it remains true today. And so I invite you to sit at Jesus's table, who's able to meet you in a unique and special way, wherever you are. It's the blood of Christ shed for you. Body of Christ broken for you. Holy Spirit, fall on us, uh, fall on these gifts of bread and uh, cup and make them be for us the body and blood of Christ. And we might be the body of Christ made up of many parts, all called by your name. In your name we pray. Amen.